listening to the Living Room North Living Room North Living Room North podcast. Hey, it's a huge honor to be with you guys for real. Um, I love leading here. I love being part of this family. Um, I've loved the series that we've been in. It's been really great to hear um, from Chelsea and from Alex. And if it's cool with y'all, I'm just kind of going to jump right in. Cool? Cool. All right. So my family was like the church family growing up. Like we were at church all the time. Literally, my first memory is being at a service with my parents. My parents um, served and worked at the church. They were, uh, my dad ran front of house, like where all the sound comes from. Uh, my mom was in the choir, so traditional Baptist, like big old robe. It was really crazy. Um, so we were always at church. And my mom is incredibly extroverted, um, the complete opposite of me. So like my biggest memory of church is me and my sister huddled in the corner while my mom is talking to literally the whole entire church. And we're just like, please, can we just get some lunch? Like we've been here all morning. Please, can we just get some lunch? And she's like, yeah, I just have 200 more conversations to go. So we might as well make those lunch plans, dinner plans. Um, and that's what I remember. That's like my biggest memory. Um, and that was through elementary school, through middle school, and through high school. And then something really interesting happened uh, my senior year of high school. I was introduced to drugs for the first time. I know we're getting dark real quick. Uh, I was introduced to drugs for the first time my senior year of high school. And my parents were great parents, truly. They were the best. Like, I enjoyed growing up with them. They were great parents. Uh, I just don't think they had any context for drugs. Like, they really harped on two things. Uh, the first one was don't drink alcohol until you're 21 and don't have sex before you're married. Those were the two things. And they really harped on that last point, so much so that in my childhood home, growing up, uh, as you walk down into my basement, you open up the door, you go down the stairs, but right at eye level, there was a sign, and that sign said, keep it in your pants. <laughs> I can't make this up. It said, keep it in your pants. So if you feel uncomfortable right now with the phrase, keep it in your pants, being said by me standing on this stage in a church, imagine 17-year-old me having to explain that to literally anyone that came over to my house. Yeah, it was really bad. Uh, but my parents, honestly, they were great. They really were. Um, they just didn't have any context for drugs. I don't think they had to ever worry about it growing up, so they just didn't think that surely their high school son and daughter wouldn't have to worry about drugs either. Um, but one day, I was introduced to weed. I had a friend who was just like, hey, man, do you want to try weed? <laughs> and I was like, what does it do? Like, I had no idea. I really didn't. And he was like, well, it does three things. Makes you feel amazing makes food taste amazing, and makes everything hilarious. And I thought, all three of the thing, things sound pretty awesome, so let's give it a shot. And what he didn't know, and what I didn't know, what I really couldn't know, is that would start a downward spiral and take me to a really, really low point in my life where I was keeping secrets, I was hiding from the ones that I loved most, and I really wasn't fully known by anyone. So I found myself years later, in the midst of my college career, having really uh, two distinct friend groups. You know, my smoking friends, ones that I hung out with at night, and then I had my church friends, like the ones that I'd grown up with. You know, the ones that I went um, on retreats with, the ones that I was in small group with. And neither of them knew me fully. I was living two different lives, and neither of them, they, they didn't know me. Um, and that brought me to a place of feeling incredibly alone, because I wasn't known by anyone. And honestly, I was just really, really sad all the time. But it was in that time that God really started speaking to me. And honestly, what he told me wasn't anything like revolutionary. It wasn't any, you know, he didn't like part the skies and like his sun sh uh, comes shining down and, you know, audibly this voice of God speaks to me. It wasn't anything like that. He had honestly told me something that I, they had already picked up on and already knew what to do. 
And really what he said was, you need to stop smoking. And you need to be real with people. You need to be fully known. So it was in that point um, where in the, really the start of a journey where I feel like I learned three things that really helped me and got me through. And I'd love to share those with you. If you're in a place of struggling, if you're in a place of um, trying to figure stuff out, like I hope that these th- three things that I've learned through some pain and some hurt in my life can help you. So the first, uh, first thing is, it's never too late to talk to someone. Truly, it's never too late to talk to someone, no matter what you're going through. It's not fun. It's not an easy conversation. But I promise, I promise you that if you talk to someone, it's taking this, uh, the first step in the right direction. And it'll get you where you want to go. I promise. The second thing is if um, you find yourself saying, I hope that so-and-so doesn't find out about what I'm doing, it's probably a really good time to evaluate the decisions that you're making. Just start there. And the third thing is that I truly believe with my whole heart that you deserve to be fully known. And if there's people in your life that you've let in, that you trust, um, that you would call a close friend, I truly believe that they deserve to know you fully as well. And so we're about to sing this song um, called Come to the Father. It's a great song. I love it. Uh, and the chorus just goes like this. I run to the Father. I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding. No reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend. So I run to the Father again and again. And that song to me is an invitation. It's an invitation to be fully known. Because in all reality, your heavenly Father knows everything you've done, everything you're doing and everything you're going to do. And so it's from that place that he invites us just to have a conversation with him. We hear the word confession, and it, it sounds scary, but it's really not. It's just having an honest conversation with God. And that's what that, this song says to me. So if you guys would stand up, we're going to sing. And I want you to just picture this. Just picture this song. Maybe there's something in your heart right now that you feel convicted by. Maybe there's something going on that... You just don't know how to get through it. I want you to imagine talking to your heavenly father. I want you to imagine talking to him and just sharing, just sharing what's on your heart. You know, maybe you worship, you know, freely. Maybe you put your hands up, maybe you go crazy. Maybe tonight is just the time where you need to sit and listen. Maybe let this song wash over you. Maybe it's as simple as just sitting and reading the lyrics and actually letting them impact your heart to move forward with whatever it is that you've been dealing with. Hello, everyone. My name is Vivian Taylor, and I am a junior at the University of North Georgia. Thank you. Appreciate, appreciate. Okay. Sorry. I grew up in Alpharetta, Georgia with my three siblings and both of my parents. There was very little change throughout most of my childhood, and growing up, religion was never a part of my family's life. The first time that I was introduced to church was in seventh grade by my best friend, Svenja. And the first time I went, I was intrigued by the loud music and the cute guys. Um, So, you know, we were like, yeah, this is going to be great. But then the worship started and the speaker began his message and I got so scared. I was embarrassed. I didn't know what the songs meant or when to raise your hand. And I didn't know who Jesus was. So I left embarrassed, and I decided I wasn't going to go back. Another thing that happened to me in my seventh grade year was that I began to notice a shift in my mood. And my mom and I began going to therapists and doctors, and they finally landed on diagnosing me with depression, which is okay. 
It's a fairly common diagnosis and feeling that we may all have. But at 12 years old, I had no idea what to do with that. So I pushed my emotions to the side and I tried to act like everything was okay. But I was struggling with confidence and friendship issues. I was looking everywhere for a friend group to include me the way I thought I should be. So I turned back to church and in my freshman year of high school, I went back to that same church, but this time was different. This time I was welcomed with open arms and I finally felt like I found a place that I could truly belong. I began making friends, going on retreats and serving and it was so amazing. In the second half of my freshman year, I was able to give my life to Jesus and I was also able to be baptized. So on the outside, my life looked great. I was, you know, my Instagram was filled with friends and all the fun things that I was doing. But on the inside, you know, life was okay. It wasn't completely awful, um, but there were still a lot of flaws around it. So getting into my sophomore year, my depression got extremely worse. I had no confidence in myself. And it wasn't like I just didn't, you know, like certain parts of myself. I had ended up developing a complete hatred of every part that made me me. So this buildup kind of led to um, one of the worst days of my life in August of 2016. This day was filled with friend and boy drama, so really the perfect storm. And I blamed myself for everything. I ended up going home that day and spiraling into this just dark hole. And I told myself, I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I can't do this. Um, God doesn't have plans for my life. God doesn't have a purpose for my life. So I decided to give up. Um, on that day, I ended up going to my bathroom and I tried to end my life. I told myself that the only way to get out of all of my problems was to give up. But by the grace of God and the love and support from my friends and family, I am alive. I'm here and I have not given up. So, thank you. Thank you guys. So, following that day, there was a lot of mental recovery and I tried to just, you know, seem like everything was okay. I checked all the boxes. I tried to be a good friend and, you know, make sure I was supporting myself and those around me. But still, just something wasn't right. I was still struggling with confidence in my depression and friendships. And all of these problems followed me into college. About two months ago, after being pushed in the right direction by my boss, mentor, and friend, Andrea Whaley, I began going to therapy again. And my therapist and I, we sat down and we started to create a goal for myself. And we kind of landed on the idea that I wanted to become independently confident based on my dependence on God. I want to be confident. I want to be sure of myself. I want to be fulfilled by God. I want to look to him and be dependent on him so when I'm having a bad day, it doesn't matter because I have God. He is my father in heaven. And I can say that in the past two months, I have seen the most real results I have ever seen in my entire life. I have never been more confident in myself than I am right now. And before I continue, I want to point out a very important detail. It took me eight years 
to start fighting for myself and seeking real help. Please don't wait that long. You are strong. You are loved. God loves you. He has a seat at his table for you. He wants to walk with you. He is there in the valleys and the mountaintops. So as we jump into this song, it's going to be another in the fire, which I'm sure most of you are very familiar with. And I just encourage you to remember and really pay attention to those lyrics and realize this isn't just another song. This is real. God is with you in the fire. God is with you in the water. God is with you in all of your bad days. So if you will, please stand up and sing along with me. Hey guys, my name is Palmer and I just wanted to share a little bit about myself. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I grew up in the church. I knew who I was. I knew whose I was. I was that girl. Um, I was a part of every club. I was part of the salsa club in middle school. Not really sure where that came from. I was part of every sport. I went to the small, like, K-8 school. My mom taught there. My cousins went there. My brother's dog, everyone went there. And so I was super comfortable, like, with my life and how it was going. I sat with all my best friends at lunch. So life was super sweet until it wasn't. I transitioned into a large public school, as probably a lot of y'all went to, but that was different for me. And I went from sitting with my best friends, we'd laugh and joke, to sitting on a bench all by myself outside of the cafeteria, whether it was raining, snowing, it was just what I did. And so during the season of my life, I like really struggled with this question of, am I good enough? I think it came in a lot of different forms. Am I good enough for one friend to eat a lunch with? Am I good enough to be in a relationship? Am I good enough to just have a friend group or to play the sports I used to love? to am I good enough for God? And so I just went on this cycle of going to school, sitting on the bench, going home, going to bed. It was an endless cycle, and I was so not my Enneagram 7 self anymore. I was so sad, and I was like, I'm going to do something about this. So I thought, maybe if I just joined the cross-country team, like, I love that. Maybe I'll feel good enough if I'm just on a team. Well, if y'all have run cross-country, you know you can never be good enough. You can't run fast enough. You're never in shape enough. So that didn't work. So I thought, maybe if I'm just in a relationship, I'll have that one person who will love me. Well, I started dating the first guy that befriended me in high school, and that went south. He was part of the popular group, and I was starting to get to know of those people, and they were like my first friends at this new school. And I was starting to notice that all of them were just wanting one more like on Instagram or one more step closer in the student section at football games. I was like, this is not who I am. This isn't going to make me feel good enough because they don't even think they're good enough. So then I thought, oh, well, maybe if I just go to the parties that they're talking about, maybe I'll feel like I can relate to them because I can't relate to them in any other way. So I went to the parties and fell into this party scene, but I was still left broken, still knew I wasn't good enough because obviously I would show up and still left like, okay, what did I just do? So not only was I still struggling, but now I was just stuck in this party scene and it followed me into college. It didn't stop. So I got to college and my anxiety started to get really strong and my life became like cycle of 
anxiety, substance, schoolwork, no sleep, bus club, you know, the whole song, but not like that. And so I decided to like, you know, see, I was finding things, I would Google solutions, how to cure anxiety like I was some doctor. Nothing worked. I've tried essential oils. I've paced my dorm halls for hours and nothing was good enough. I was like, man, this cycle in my life, it's not, I'm just not good enough. Every morning I woke up asking that question, it was no. So then I started to think, well, maybe I'm in college. Maybe if I just like drink enough, maybe I'll fall asleep at night. Maybe that will solve my issues. I'll wake up feeling great because I actually slept at night and I can actually get stuff done. Well, I'll tell you that's not the case. I was still left super broken. I was starting to notice all these holes in my heart that had been chipped away throughout high school and four years of anxiety will do it to you. You're exhausted and still it's just a cycle like life is. And one night I had a particularly hard night and I was going to my 8 a.m. I had party the night before and I was anxious all night, shaking like to the point of throwing up because I was so anxious and I was like, why am I living like this? I am not fulfilled at all. And my mom texted me a Bible verse. She was like, Palmer, Jesus is the only one. He gives us life more fulfilling than anything else in this world. And I started to sit back and contemplate that. And I was thinking about how I relied on the drinking or I was relying on these relationships and friendships to fill me up. But the only thing that was going to fulfill me was Jesus. And that is what cycle I was stuck in. I had to learn that for myself. And it's hard when you're going through all that and you have to learn it yourself. So I just want to encourage you all that when you lean in on the Lord, life is so much more fulfilling. And I'm not here to say I don't struggle with anxiety anymore. I've had a hard week. I've been up at night, but I have so much more peace in the Lord and that he's with me. And life is so much more fulfilling. It's not a constant cycle. It's like instead of me answering that question with no, Jesus says, yes, Palmer, you are more than enough. And I wish that on all of y'all and hope you see the same thing. So thanks for listening to Peace My Story. What I've appreciated about the last few weeks is uh, seeing uh, Chelsea um, and Alex and tonight and Dalton, uh, as well as Palmer and, and Vivian, uh, just share uh, just through their, their nerves, um, because it's not easy sharing little you know, parts um, of, of big issues. And so, one, you might marvel at, at the fact that people would get up and actually disclose some of the things that they disclose. But also, I marvel at the fact that several of you, for the last few weeks in small groups, um, have felt the permission to, to start sharing your story. And that was our hope with this series, is what we've come to realize the last several years is that there are individuals who walk through their college-age years um, feeling isolated or alone, and, and we know that college can be some of the, the loneliest times or create some of the loneliest moments in your life. And we hope that maybe here at the living room, you can feel a little less known. Maybe you can feel a little bit more uh, belonging to something maybe bigger than yourselves. And so I applaud uh, so many of you who this past few weeks have taken steps and risks uh, to share some things um, in your stories. And hopefully you have found it to be uh, beneficial. 
And so what I wanted to do tonight is share um, uh, something that I feel like combines uh, every single one of these stories um, in a pretty clear way, uh, especially for those that have been sitting in the room, uh, you've, you've recognized some things that are, are similar in your own story. And uh, it's actually a part of a greater story. And so it's a greater story that I came uh, kind of in uh, this beautiful collision uh, the summer after my junior year in high school. And uh, I would love to share you just, just a, little, a little dose. Again, in the same vein of this long story short, um, I want to share for some of you maybe that haven't heard what, what we would declare as the greatest story uh, to be ever told. And, and so uh, thinking about this um, tonight, I, I, I went into uh, one of our children's rooms and uh, found this uh, Jesus Storybook Bible. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of this. Anybody read this before? Okay, okay. All right. Um, and so here's the thing, Ellen and I, we, we would read this to our children when, when they were younger. And some of that is because it, w- it was part of the story that, that really changed our lives, um, but, but written in a way that um, made some big things uh, a little bit more tangible for, for young eyes, young hearts. And uh, so here's the thing, uh, the way some of this is written, I believe it, it's, it's equally as incredible and poignant, uh, not just for four-year-olds, but also for uh, 43-year-olds. And so um, here's the thing. Uh, sometimes people come into these walls and uh, they might have some preconceived notions of God or church or the Bible. And uh, there are times when we hear that some people think the Bible is just about a set of rules, some standards that we'll never live up to. And um, But as we read in here, the Bible isn't about a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that's come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there is a baby. And every story in the Bible whispers his name. He's like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see this beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. This is the child upon whom everything would depend. This is the child who would one day, but wait, our story starts where all good stories start, right at the very beginning. And one of the things that those have come up on the stage, uh, at some point, they started to hear uh, this story, whether it was at a camp or at a church or in their household, And that story has a beginning that uh, in the beginning there was this uh, God who uh, looked out on creation that was without meaning and without form. And we believe that he spoke and things became to be. That it was lifeless and it was dark and he, he said let there be light and then all sorts of things began to happen. And he starts to create and he's like, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm going to start creating the stars. And he declared them to be good. And then he starts creating the oceans and the mountains and all the things that we see and experience in creation and the animals and the birds and not really still sure why he created cats. But, and, 
And he looked at it all and he said it was good. But something again was, was missing as part of the story is told. And he thought, you know what? I'm going to create. I'm going to create man out of my own image. Because I desire to have this, this longing for this, this true family. And so he created Adam, our first parent, and then, and then Eve. And he kind of looked at them and said, hey, these human beings are made out of my own image. And everything so far has been good. But when I look at this, this is my prized creation. Humankind. And they lived together in this, in this uh, garden, this, this Eden. And, and really, it was, it was what was supposed to be. And as some of you know the story, uh, Unfortunately, God had one just small little thing is that he just told Adam and Eve, hey, there's, there's one thing I would ask that you would trust is that you would not go and pick this fruit from this certain tree. And as some of you all know the story, uh, uh, it happens, they pick the fruit and then all sorts of things begin to happen. That they begin to uh, be aware of some things that they never have. And this idea of, of sin, some of you have heard of it, this idea of this uh, missing the mark of what God has intended to be best and for our life entered into the world when that happened. And so now ever since then for even to today, uh, sin creeps in to the birth of mankind. And it certainly has missed the mark. And as this story continues to tell us that because sin has come into the world, it has created an unfortunate uh, gap. It has left us um, wanting. It has left us um, just kind of at a, an expanse, a distance from a loving God. And so something had to happen. And um, there was a pretty crazy ending. You would think that it would end there, that there would be suffering, that the chapters of the book would close. And I remember hearing this part when I was uh, 17, and it was almost too good to be true. That the story would not end there with sin and corruption and, and uh, disconnect from God. This sweet little story Bible says... Uh, God loved his children too much to let the story end there. Even though he knew he would suffer, God had a plan, a magnificent dream. One day he would get his children back. One day he would make the world their perfect home again. And one day he would wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And though they would forget him, and run from him deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him. Lost children yearning for their home. And before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve. It will not always be so. I will come to rescue you. And when I do, I'm going to do battle against the snake. I'll get rid of the sin and the dark and the sadness you let in here. I'm coming back for you. And he would. One day, God himself would come. In the beginning, God created. He created man and woman in his image. And they made a decision and sin crept into the world. 
and created a separation, a chasm between us and a God who loves us. And it broke his heart and it broke the relationship between man and God. But God would not let that to be the final story. And as so much of this story has talked about, that there would be one, a, a Messiah, a great rescuer who would find himself onto the scene. And his name is Jesus. And we watch Jesus come onto the scene and live. And some of you, maybe you only know Jesus of the one who kind of, maybe he said some cool things. And didn't he say, I should, you know, like love my neighbor or whatever. And Jesus did all of those things. But Jesus was the way back for us. Jesus was the one who came and died on our behalf. Because in this story, it talked about this unfortunate truth that, um, hey, for all of us have sinned and fallen short. There's another scripture that says, hey, the wages of sin is death. And because we were all born into it, then we were all destined to a life to where we would get what we honestly were wanting in the first place a life away from God where we would choose to do our own thing and go our own way. But God did something amazing. God fulfilled his promise. Jesus came and laid his life down. He died on the cross so that you and I wouldn't have to. He volunteered his life so that you could find him. And that is, again, a... A long story short, that is a remedial explanation of this grand narrative that for a number of us in the room came across at some point in our life and it changed everything. And so what, uh, what I would love to do before we keep singing is I would love to just uh, give an invitation because as you've listened and paid attention over the last few weeks, there are folks who talk about this reality of, of just kind of drowning under the weight of shame or guilt from things happening in your life. Some of you shared some pretty deep and dark stuff that's really going, hey, I don't know if God could ever love me in the midst of my sexual sin. I don't know if God could ever love me in the fact that I'm choosing to fill up my life with other things that, that leave me wanting. And though that anyone that gets on this stage is so far from perfect, I think what we have, have come to realize to be true is that really the only, the only way to, to find lasting hope, the only, the only way to find uh, really truth and fulfillment and life to the full is through a relationship with Jesus. And so I would have loved to offer you the opportunity to do that because I know that for some of you, you've been looking for that. You've been looking for ways to go, gosh, I feel like I am drowning in the, in the decisions that I've made or I might believe that they're way too big for God to actually sweep in and take care of. And that's actually the part of this main story is that he died for that, to rescue, to offer forgiveness. And so here's what I would love to do. I'd love for all of us just to bow our heads and I'm gonna pray. And I would love to speak to a few people in the room. I would love to provide an opportunity for those in the room that, who have not placed their faith in Jesus to have the opportunity 
to do so. And I know that uh, sometimes in these moments, I'm like, well, I, 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 don't even, I don't even know what to do. I don't, I don't really know much about God or, or much about Jesus. That's okay. But you've known enough, you've listened enough, you've been here enough to know that you, you want something different. That you want to find healing. That you want to find hope. That you want to find peace. That you want to feel known. That you really do want to feel forgiven. And if that's you, then I'd love to invite you to pray this with me. Heavenly Father, for what little I know of you, what maybe little I know of myself, I found myself to be lost. I don't really know what to do. I feel hopeless. I feel shame. I feel guilt for the things that have happened in my life. And I admit the fact that I have turned and I have, that I've lived a life that's really just about my own benefit. And I've made decisions that I feel like, oh, were just for me. And I confess that. That I admit that I, I have lived a, a sinful life, a, a life that it just doesn't seem to add up with what little I know of you and what you long for. I also believe that Jesus did something. Jesus died for that. He died for me. I don't have to fully understand it or comprehend it, but I think I believe that he paid for my sin, that he died on a cross, and then a few days later rose again in victory. And so I, I confess that I, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I don't even know what this means. But I, I want you in it. And I want you to lead my life. And I want you to, to invite me into your grand story. Because I'm, I'm tired of hearing other people's story of life change and not really knowing how they found that. And, and I want that. I want you, Jesus. There's also people in the room who uh, I just know it to be so that for some of you, maybe you, you've placed your faith in Jesus uh, at some point in your life. Um, but maybe your faith has lied dormant. Maybe college was a great disruption for you and, and somehow lifestyle and decisions and poor choices uh, maybe has robbed you of believing what really is true, that you cannot be separated from Jesus because of what he did on your behalf. And so for some of you in the room, uh, you, have, you have not been following Jesus. But you sure do want to. For some of you in the room, you, you have been following 
culture. You've been following some certain uh, thing that's more so instant in its gratification. But you really haven't been following Jesus like maybe you quote-unquote used to or whatever language you use. And, and maybe tonight for you, this is, this is a fresh start for you. This is an opportunity that you've been hoping for where you can come back to the heart of the Father. Where you can run back towards the truth. And so here's what I'd ask is that if there's anybody in this room who wants to begin a relationship with Jesus, if there's anybody in this room that, that wants to um, invite him to, again, reignite, restart, rekindle that relationship, I invite you just to raise your hand. Anybody in this room that would want to place their faith in Jesus, restart your faith in Jesus, that you would want your story to begin anew.